This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally, Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, 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 business storytellers. How's it going? Fist bump. Let's get today's episode going here. We want to talk about copywriting, one of my favorite topics in the world, and here's the reason why. Everything comes back to the written word. Think about it. You guys wouldn't even know what this podcast is about if I didn't know how to write. You know, as much as I like to talk, but there is a title, there is a description, all that stuff. That's copywriting. That's content. But here's the thing. There is a ton of misperceptions out there when it comes to copywriting. And one of my least favorite one is when people come to me, full disclosure, at my day job, Vox Pop Me. Nobody does that. So don't. nobody needs to be offended there. But I've had experiences before where people would come to me and say, we need some content. And I say, what kind of content? Is it content? We got to do this campaign. We need some content. Seriously, why do people say that? So I'm going to ask today's guest straight up. Why are people asking crazy questions like that of content strategists? And is that one of the bigger misperceptions when it comes to copywriting? We'll ask him right here. Jacob McMillan, content strategist and copywriter based in San Diego, I believe, where it's probably much warmer than it is here. Welcome to the show. Why? Why is this kind of stuff happening? I think uh, in general, there's just a lack of understanding about the purpose of content. Um, I think you see it in all sorts of industries, all sorts of niches. Um, People know they need content. They know that messaging is important. They know that creating things that people read is going to help their business, but they don't really understand why. Um, And they don't really understand what each piece of content needs to do. So there's just sort of this vague understanding that we need content, but it doesn't go much deeper than that. And um, it's kind of ironic. I see a lot of this within the content marketing space as well. Even a lot of content marketers who are great at creating content, if you dig a little deeper, they don't necessarily understand what the purpose of this content is or, you know, how it's actually achieving a goal that businesses actually care about. Um, And so, I mean, that's why there's always work for good content strategists, because uh, understanding what the content's actually supposed to do um, and how it's supposed to achieve, you know, metrics that the business actually cares about um, is, you know, what's most important. And not a lot of people know how to do that. I think there's so many misperceptions out there that, I mean, I would like to hear your list Uh, But, you know, some of the things that come to my mind just out of the gate here is the amount of time it takes you to create content does not equal the results. So you and I can do this show for 27 minutes and we can have thousands of viewers and listeners and whatever, but it only took us 27 minutes because we didn't have a prep meeting. We just came on and said, hey, let's go. Let's talk about this crazy topic, right? I mean, is that one misperception? Or, or or am I making that up? 
No, I, I think that's totally valid. Um, there's definitely this idea that if you create something or if you put a lot of time maybe into creating something, um, that it is going to inherently matter. Uh, that effort, you know, is going to translate to results. Um, and I don't necessarily discourage that viewpoint just because I think for a lot of people taking the initial steps to create content is a, is a pivotal part of getting to content that actually works. Um, and I think people who come in just looking to, you know, put the volume in, put the effort in, put the time in, often will eventually figure it out at, you know, get to the point where they're creating stuff that that does succeed, that is a higher quality, that's going to make a debt and, you know, grabbing people's attention. And I think in a lot of ways, you kind of have to go through that initial initial stage, at least if you're, you know, a solopreneur or a small business, you don't have the benefit of bringing on experts from day one. Um, but that said, you know, there is a, you do have to be intentional about improvement. And if you aren't using you know, the initial creation phase, the initial part of just coming in and making something, if you aren't doing that with the intent of, of experimenting and figuring out what's going to work and figuring out how to make something better than everything else, um, then ultimately it's going to go nowhere. You know, you, I, I come across businesses all the time who have been creating tremendous amounts of mediocre content for the last five years. And it's, they, you know, they might as well have been throwing money in the trash the whole time. It, you know, it, it, that's never going to just automatically translate into results. You have to be using that to improve along the way. So a couple of things I heard you say there, you talk about the improvement and, and really, um, I've created some horrible content over the years. I mean, I go back to some old Same. content. You do, right? Everybody, yeah, I think. Totally. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I sometimes go back and sometimes I just trash it when I see it or I update it, you know, and I'll give you an example. This is not actually a piece of content that was horrible, but it was not where it could be where I need it today, right? And I had this article I wrote way back when, and it worked for then. But then I had more content I could add to it. I maybe could update a little bit what I was trying to go after, what keywords and whatnot, and I updated it. So I think one thing, especially for people like me who grew up in journalism, you know, we write content and we're done because we used to ship the newspaper. That's now I'm showing you how old I am. But the website isn't the newspaper, right? You can go back and update, improve content, but to do that, what kind of culture do you have to have? Because, I mean, I still know people in leadership roles that think it's the one and done, ship it. And if it's not perfect at shipping, we're never going to touch it again. Yeah, I think it goes back to kind of the original point of understanding what the purpose of the content is. A lot of people, they just think a blog post is a blog post or a podcast is a podcast and you make it it exists in some nebulous space and people, you know, you just assume people are going to see it once or I'll continue seeing it. And the reality is how you are distributing your content is determining when and how people see it. So for example, if, you know, if, if I publish a post that's the goal is to rank in SEO um, and I'm successful in that, well, then people are going to be seeing that every single day. So if I go in and make a change, to that post, I'm now immediately changing what people see the next day and the day after that and ongoing. Um, where, you know, if if the distribution that I'm using maybe is more like via social media or through an email list or something like that, you know, a bunch of people are gonna see that initially 
But after that, probably not a lot of people are going to see it. You know, the next time people see it again is when you actively distribute it again. So, you know, you can treat it almost like a brand new piece uh, and go in and, and do a whole revamp and come back and share it again. And now it's, it's, it's almost a brand new piece that you're sharing. You just kind of use the original to take some of the work off your plate. So understanding, you know, what the distribution is, what you want the content to do is going to affect how you come in and update and reuse and, and stuff like that. And, and absolutely, if you, you know, if, if you're not approaching content with a long-term view, um, then one, you're probably not going to invest enough in each piece to make it work for you. But two, you're just, you're leaving a lot of value on the table from all these things you've created before that are now just sitting there doing absolutely nothing for you. Yeah. And I actually, I don't understand why people don't create content with that long-term view of mind, because that's where content, in my opinion, performs best, right? Over time, not just the one and done kind of thing. Uh, Jacob, I know we jumped right in here. Didn't even tell people who you are. Very, very briefly, give us a quick overview. What do you do? Um, and, and, you know, yeah, who are you? And what's going on behind you? <laughs> so uh, I've been in the copywriting and marketing space for about 10 years now. Started as a just freelance copywriter. Um, did that for about seven, eight years and then transitioned into, you know, Basically, the writing that I was doing for my clients, I started doing it for my own businesses and building a little portfolio of businesses, um, you know, that are mostly driven, you know, the revenue is driven through writing. Um, and so that's kind of managing those is mostly what I do. And then I, I still will, you know, work with clients here and there on uh, doing sales pages or, you know, their email, their email funnels uh, or, um, you know, helping advise them on uh, content strategy, ranking and SEO is you know, for nationally competitive terms is a big part of how I drive revenue. I'm the number one search result in the U.S. most days for a copywriter um, and a bunch of other copywriting terms and then help clients rank for those as well. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of uh, me and my career in a nutshell, a combination of direct response copy and then, you know, writing content to rank and search. Well, what's always great to hear, I'm not going to try to to prove your point or not. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But um, it's fantastic to see when a copywriter ranks for the terms that they actually offer services for. Because one of my pet peeves, quite frankly, is when digital agencies that build websites have a horrible website. And I do not want to hear any of these excuses how you don't have time. I don't have time either. And I still get it done and I find the time. I mean, that's my soapbox on that topic. Yep. And I mean, I've, I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen clients that offer great services while kind of their own version of the, you know, for themselves looks bad, but at the same time, like it's so unnecessary. I've had so many people hire me just because they like the copy on my own website. And it's, it's totally reasonable to say, Hey, if you're, if you're telling me you can write good copy for my business, shouldn't you be able to have good copy for your own, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it makes, it makes total sense. So um, some of the examples we shared so far, they, of course, have been some of my soul boxes that I like to get on and that people probably heard me talk about before. What are some other misperceptions that you run into commonly? Yeah, so I kind of there's kind of a two part misconception that is my biggest pet peeve. Um, and I think it's just because I, I do spend a lot of time with other copywriters and people, you know, and marketers particularly. Um, and that's just the, the misconception that copywriting is what sells things. Um, because at the end of the day, product market fit 
is what sells things. You know, none of us have ever bought something because messaging convinced us we wanted it. Ultimately, messaging just helps us realize that we want wanted it already. You know, we buy the things that we want. Um, and so that's the type of thing, you know, so, so many times businesses come to a copywriter saying, help me sell this thing that no one is buying. And if nobody's buying it, it's because nobody wants it. You know, at the end of the day, like no, nobody wants it. And copywriting can come in and help kind of, you know, bump those sales up by a, a good percentage. Um, but it's not going to make people want things that they don't want. Um, and so, and kind of by extension of that, kind of the second part of that, that I think is going to be more relevant to people watching this, because people buy what they want, the ultimate goal of copywriting is simply to make that product market fit really clear, um, to come in and just really clarify what the offer is and why it's relevant to the buyer, why, you know, the specifics of why they should want it and why they actually want it. And so clarity is the most important part of copywriting. It's not persuasion. It's not psychology. Um, it's not any specific type of tactics. It's literally just making the offer clear, making it really clear, like, hey, we have something that you want, and we're going to make it really, really clear what it is so that you can see, hey, that is actually something I want. Um, so that's that's my biggest pet peeve. I think the biggest misconception in copywriting is that it's all these other things when 80% of your sales, at least, are just going to come from making a clear offer. And I've seen this time and time again, both with my own businesses and with clients, where, you know, if you do a good job of making the offer clear in the first round, like you can run the same sale sell multiple times with like five different versions of copy and basically sell about the same the most every single time because people want it the same amount each time. Like the, you know, dip, sometimes you come in and you just really find a winning messaging formula that, that bumps it up, you know, 25% or something. Um, but at the end of the day, it just comes down to, can, can we do a good job of not making it confusing because people actually do want this and we just need to make that clear. So what you're talking about, it sounds like a little bit here is the bottom of the funnel, so to speak, right? Like people, People already, they kind of know what they want. They may, might be looking for things. And then, of course, we have a little bit higher up on the funnel, which is which is different writing, which is where I spend most of my time. Now, what I found interesting is when you mentioned copywriting, sell things. I think people sometimes look for excuses why something isn't selling. Oh, it's the writing. Oh, it's the salesperson. Oh, it's the whatever. It's the climate. Climate, you know, it's, I mean, whatever, like make up. <laughs> 10 more excuses why it's something that nobody wants is selling. So yeah. you do certainly need that. But then on the other side, you also, there, there's a lot of products that are just copied over and over and over. How is this mic better than your mic? I don't even know what your mic looks like or the, the other mic I used to have or my neighbor's mic or whatever, right? So, so there, you have to find the differentiator. The one yeah. thing, when I was thinking about SEO, you know, sometimes people say to me, our SEO is not converting. And I always say, SEO is not about the conversion funnel. SEO, well, that's not exactly right. SEO isn't about the conversion. SEO is about getting people to come to your site because they're searching for something, whether that's bottom of the funnel or top of the funnel. You still have to have a conversion path once they get there. But that's, I guess, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a copywriting misperception. That actually, but. that actually brings up a really, a really great additional misconception uh, for us to touch on here, which is 
a lot of people, you know, particularly small business owners, uh, even, I mean, even mid, mid, even enterprise, you, people get in this mentality that anytime they're selling to someone, that person is comparing them against, you know, really established competition that they're already using. And so there's this idea, a lot of people come in thinking they they need to steal market share from a competitor. And in some spaces, that's actually, that's, that's absolutely true. There are specific areas where that's true, but I would, you know, in my experience, like 80% of, of businesses, competition is meaningless. Like, you know, your competitor, you don't even need to be thinking about your competitors because the key is you're just, just getting in front of potential clients. And a lot of, there's a lot of potential clients who are not using your competitors who are not, you know, already using something. They're looking for a solution that you can solve and the competition is pretty meaningless. And there, the, the goal is just to get in front of more people. So, so when we talk about like selling to people, like there's this, there's this aspect of, can we make the offer clear? And then can we find a cost-effective way to get in front of more people? And a lot of people confuse those two, kind of like you're talking about that, the top of the funnel, the getting in front of people versus the conversion, closing them and selling to them. Those are two completely different things. And, you know, you can have the best conversion funnel in the world, but if you can't find a cost-effective way to get people into the funnel, you know, you're dead in the water. Where on the flip side, you know, if, if you have an incredibly efficient uh, way to get people in front of your business, but your offer is so confusing that people don't even know what you're offering, then, you know, all the, all the people you bring through to see, see your offer, it isn't really going to matter either. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Now, when you have, um, you know, when you write for a company and first of all, I should say the more, you know, about a topic, the better you become a writer in that topic, no argument there. But what there is a little bit of argument is some people claim it's the only way for you to be a good copywriter in a topic if you are an expert at that topic. And I widely disagree with that because if that was true, I would never write about anything because like I'm not an expert at anything. Like, I mean, how can you become an expert at every topic you write about? Um, and basically just talk to the experts in the field and then figure out what's the right verbiage and the right uh, content and, and, and whatnot. What's your opinion on that? Do you have to be an expert in the field that you write about or how deep do you have to go? So I think there's there's two keys to whether we're talking copywriting or content, any sort of writing. Um, you have the substance of the piece and you have the delivery. Um, and typically subject matter experts obviously can supply the substance, you know, the, the actual core, you know, pieces of the content that matter, that are interesting, that are worth reading. And then usually the writers tend to be better at the delivery, whereas someone who just knows about the topic may not be great at teaching it, may not be great at writing about it. So um, the delivery piece is, you know, the the guts of the writing. The the delivery piece, like if you can't sort of, um, you need the right, you need someone who's good at delivery in order to ship the piece. So you have to have the writer involved. In terms of the substance, um, you know, it, you can you can be good as a writer at finding the substance even if you aren't supplying it yourself so that's where you know having a copywriter who understands what they're looking for like what are the things we need to make this piece matter to make this effective and then they don't have to you know as the writer you don't have to come up with it yourself um you can go find it from the subject matter expert you can sit down with them you can ask them you know good questions um you can look at 
you know, customer feedback. You can go to firsthand data sources. You can, you know, there's all sorts of ways to find that substance without personally having it sitting inside you. Um, whereas, you know, if you're the subject matter expert, if you do have that substance, um, you're still going to need to have a way to, you know, effectively deliver it. Um, and so that's where obviously, you know, if, if you have a subject matter expert in house, who's also a good writer, then maybe you don't need a copywriter. You can just help, you know, teach them some copywriting techniques. Um, but that's, that's pretty uncommon. Um, so that's where usually the most effective way is to work with a writer who understands how to work with your subject matter experts to pull out that key substance. And so, and then when you work with the writers or, or the, the content creators or whatever people want to call them, how important is communication? And I'm, I'm the first to admit, I grew up in a world where people, teachers, namely, felt the need to be kind of jerks when they edited <laughs> things. And do you know what I mean? And like, and then yeah. also parts of my career, I think there were some editors who I think they always felt the need. Oh, I had to rip this apart. And then you look at it and they made like three changes, but you didn't see the changes right away. So they made you feel bad. Yeah. How important is the communication between the subject matter expert and the copywriter? And I assume you're not going to recommend that people should be jerk faces like this to each other. Right. I mean, there's a better way to, to communicate with your writers. Yeah, so I think communication is incredibly important in any relationship, but absolutely, you know, within a, a relationship where a writer is working hand in hand with the subject matter expert, the writer needs to understand that shipping their piece of writing is not the most important thing happening in the subject matter expert's life. You know, they have their own role at the company um, and they're trying to do that role and, and, and what they're offering to help you with the writing that you've been hired to do is like extra for them. And so the writer needs to come in with that sort of humility and understanding of like, this is, you know, they're helping me create this piece. And on the other end, you know, the subject matter expert needs to understand that, you know, the writing that they're contributing to here is going to be a pivotal piece of the business selling and the business succeeding and, you know, communicating to the actual customers. Um, and I think, I think the biggest disconnect in that relationship is usually that, you know, the person who's kind of project managing this doesn't do a good job of kind of communicating the importance to the people involved. Um, but if you have that, if both people understand the value of what's being created um, and they're both looking to be flexible and understanding and, you know, the other person's schedule and what and what else they have going on, it can be, you know, it, that's where you get the best writing. You know, it, on the online, and if you ever go look and find the best content out there, it's either going to come from someone who is a subject matter expert and a good writer, or from a collaboration between a great writer and a great subject matter expert. And collaboration, of course, means you have a relationship, you work together, and you're not jerks. And you know what's interesting, yes. too, when you said, well, the subject matter expert has... Um, other stuff to do. But I've also found that when you get that collaboration in the right place at the right time, and not to throw any more buzzwords around here, but it can be also very helpful to the subject matter expert, right? Because it helps them being branded. It helps them to get business. Um, and, you know, they they get to share their expertise. Now, when we talk about that, does that mean, uh, are you, would you recommend most of this content is ghostwritten for them or how does that look on the other side? 
Yeah, I think I think if you are, um, I think it just depends. Um, there's lots of different ways to do it. I think any situation where you can sort of credit both the writer and the subject matter expert in the piece, you're going to better incentivize good writers to work with you. Um, that said, currently, just because content has become so ubiquitous in across numerous spaces, um, I think it's increasingly becoming the practice to ghostwrite and basically have the subject matter expert credited as the author. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Um, you, you just have to understand that, you know, probably the best writers out there, they're going to want to be writing in situations where they're going to get credited for it. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's also value to kind of doing both ends. So you could always kind of alternate things like that, but it just kind of depends on, on how, you know, how the business is approaching their content and their marketing and distribution and all that. And, you know, as you said, there's always, I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be so black and white, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, I personally, even though I grew up in journalism where everybody gets credited, you know, this show has been edited by Christoph Trapp and produced by Christoph Trapp. And do you know what I mean? If there were other people, that would actually yeah. sound like we had a production crew here, which we don't. Um, but on the Vox Pop Me blog, I it's under my byline, 100%. It's my voice. But really what I do is, I quote experts, right? Um, so it's kind of like, I'm, I don't want to say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, what, what word am I looking for here? I am not taking as much time out of one expert's schedule as yeah. I would if I only was writing about them because I only get one thing from them and then they go away and they do their own thing. So that's yeah. another way to do it, I think, that has worked for me. Yeah, that's that's a great way to do it. And it's a it's a great way too if you know if you are a writer looking to build, you know, credited you know, credited pieces for yourself. Um, going and, and interviewing multiple experts, because then it's really, you know, if, if you're having multiple experts, it's really your piece. You're kind of directing the input. Um, and it's also that's that's a, one of the best networking tools I think on the planet is reaching out to people to, you know, get their input and 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 on like on stuff that like they care about you know so many people who do this they go around and ask very low level questions that these people have been asked a hundred times but if you can like if you can think of like a, a unique angle for a really interesting piece and ask people you know questions that that are like that they enjoy answering because they're not the questions they get every day that's that's a phenomenal way to just connect with some you know pretty pretty awesome people and people who you know know what they're talking about in whatever space you're in it's it's true and hopefully jacob i asked some questions you haven't been asked before at least in a different way really absolutely <laughs> that's a goal achieved um really great to have you on the show as always time flies when you're having fun really appreciate you sharing your insights absolutely thanks for having me that's a wrap thanks for tuning in please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels and don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.